0: Praise the Lord. Uh, before I get started on my message, I uh, I really like to be very uh, as accurate as possible when I deliver a message because I realize that when you uh, minister, sometimes they will take historical facts or things and kind of go with it and may not fully understand the context of what I'm talking about. So last week, um, I always listen to the message, and when I listen to my messages, I, I get really nervous until I hear them. And so there are little tiny details that I didn't like when I, when I heard it back, because you don't always say things the way you want to say it. So I want to make sure you're accurate when you talk to people about things that I talk about, because last week wasn't a history lesson, but I had to go through history to make the point of where our background as a nation came from. So I had to go through several historical facts. And like I said, um, I did a very simplistic history last week, which means that um, I had to go through really fast to get through the history to get to what I was trying to preach. Um, One of the things I noticed that I didn't like, and you're going to say, man, these are really minor things, but I want to really make sure you're accurate. Uh, Johannes Gutenberg, I talked about his press. And when I listened to it, it said, I said, movable press, which makes it sound like he just had a portable press. And he just moved it around and made copies, and boy, that's awesome. We have a portable one now. But what that is, the one little word I left out, which really wouldn't have changed it, but it should, I, I should have said, movable type, which still sounds like a portable. But what happened with uh, Mr. Gutenberg, what he did that was different now, he came up with a metallic uh, print set, movable type sets, and he was able to stick those in and he made advances in the metallic. They were wooden before and they were presses off of wood presses before, but he used a movable type of lettering and the metallic lettering that he uses was unique. The ink was actually uh, an invention of his also that was unique and the paper that he used was uniquely pressed, and uh, so he made a lot of advances, but it wasn't just a portable press, okay, just so you know that. Another thing, um, when I went through the Reformation, that's a complicated period of time, so all together, really quickly, I went through, there was a French portion of the Reformation, which those people were called Huguenots, I didn't have time to go through that, but the French Reformation, the Huguenots, St. Bartholomew Day Massacre. Those estimates were between thirty thousand and a hundred thousand. So it varies widely on how many Protestants died there. I went with the high one, and what I should have said is upwards of a hundred thousand. I said a hundred thousand, which I didn't like. Okay. The World War Two, or I'm sorry, Civil War. I should have said upwards thousand, about six hundred thousand plus died in the Civil War, so I was a little off on that number, but I should have said upwards of 500,000, I would have been all right. Okay, everybody's got that? And the other thing, King James the First was the nephew of uh, Queen Elizabeth First. He was the king of Scotland, and uh, he was King James the Sixth, I believe, of Scotland, then became King James the First of England, but he was the nephew, and of course, I didn't have genealogies in my notes, I was going by memory, so... So just so you know the details, how many know it's important if you're talking about history to know the details, so that's good to do. Well, I'm off that this week, so awesome. Um, If you would, turn in your Bible to Matthew 24.44. Matthew 24.44. It says, So you also must be what? Ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect Him. Amen? So we must be what? Ready, because the Son of Man will come in an hour that we do not expect Him. This is the words of Jesus Christ. This is His very words to His disciples. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. Lord, I just pray that you minister your words, Lord God, in your teaching, Lord God. Let us sit at your feet and learn, Lord. Help us. In your name we pray. Amen. The title of my message is, The Return. The Return. And of course, that's the Lord's return. Um, Jesus, while he was living on this earth began talking about an event. Uh, Mike, I'm so glad you gave the preamble to my sermon this morning. You must be looking at my notes back there. <clears throat> but Jesus kept talking about his return. Okay? And he wasn't talking about his tennis game. Right? Don't laugh. you encourage me. I appreciate the straight faces. That's good. helps me. Don't encourage me. <clears throat> but he kept talking about this return. And he kept saying, with this return, he gave unique details about it. In fact, it's called, in, in, in Bible doctrine, it's called the imminent return. Which means that he is going to return without any signs, without any... Um, um anything in advance, he's just going to come suddenly and without notice. There'll be nothing in advance to warn us that it's happening. And he kept talking about this return that would come suddenly, and he gave all kinds of examples and all kinds of parables, and he's saying, beware, beware, be careful, warning, I'm going to come back and you... Unless you're watching for me, unless you're alert, unless you're careful, you're going to miss it because there's no signs in advance to warn you that it's about to happen. It's going to happen, and then it's always followed by a woman in birth pains and tribulation. And so he kept talking about this return. And sometimes I think when we, uh, in our Christian living in our Christian teaching, and our Christian preaching, a lot of times we don't stress how important the return of Jesus Christ was to the early church. And so Jesus Christ in the year somewhere around, let's just agree today, there may be debate here, but let's say it's 33 AD, that Jesus Christ leaves the earth. Just for the sake of discussion Let's say it's that year. Jesus is about to leave this world, and that particular passage, uh, that is the Olivet Discourse where He's explaining to them that He's going to return for them, but His return will be like a thief in the night, and My disciples must be ready. This is to His disciples saying, be ready, don't miss it, I'm going to return, and when I return, you need to be ready. In fact, he goes on in Luke, and he actually says that, um, that if you miss my return, you're going to be exposed to all the things that are coming upon the face of the earth. In fact, it's always followed by this tribulation period that's going to be really difficult, and it's called the Day of the Lord. And it begins right after whatever this event is, this meeting with Jesus Christ where He's going to return suddenly. And so Jesus, um, in fact, in another place, it's called the Upper Room Discourse. Olivet Discourse is where He's on top of the mountain, He's in the Passion Week, and He begins to explain everything that's going to happen uh, after He leaves this earth and begins to talk about His return and all things that happen in the last days. Uh, The upper room discourse is when he's there with his disciples, they're about to have the Last Supper together, Judas leaves to betray him, and Jesus Christ, after Judas exits, begins to address his own. And when he does that, he says this, he says, Let not your heart be troubled. This is John 14, verses 1-3. through Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Underline that. And I go and prepare a place for you. I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you again, maybe also. So, who's he coming for? He's coming for his, those that believe in Jesus Christ, those that are in him, those that are his. He said, I'm coming for you, and what am I going to do with you? I'm going to receive you into myself, and you're going to go where I'm at. Where is he at? In heaven. And where, what is he doing in that place that he's going to? He's been preparing that place for all of those who are in Christ. He's been preparing since he left them. They were uh, very concerned that he was going to leave them. In fact, he was, this is a conversation where he's saying, I must leave. And he says, but, now if Jesus said he's going to leave, wouldn't your heart be troubled? So that's why he says, don't let your heart be troubled, because I am going to a place, we all agree that's not on this earth, right? I'm going to a place, and in that place, there are many mansions. I am there preparing a place for you, And if I go, I will return, call you to myself, and you will go there with me. It's pretty simple to understand, isn't it? Now, there are a lot of people that will say, Chad, that's not what's going on there. He's actually going to bring him to the earth and set up his kingdom, and that's the coming at the end of the seven-year tribulation. It's not. This is Jesus promising to return call them to Himself, and He's going to take them to the place that He's been preparing. This is where Jesus began telling this new mystery to the church that I am going to return and it is going to precede the tribulation and I'm going to call you into Myself and then there is a purpose for this tribulation that I do not want you to be a part of. And so this teaching that Jesus began to teach, he goes on. In Acts 1 9, it's time for him to leave now. He says, Now when he had spoken these things while they were watching, he was taken up. And a cloud received him out of their sight. He was taken away. He was gone. And they watched and they studied steadfastly as he disappeared into the clouds and was taken up. And then in Acts one ten, it says, they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up. And then an angelic messenger in Acts one eleven says, this same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. So as he was taken up, he's already made lots of promises to them that I am returning for you. And you'll be taken up in like manner. So then they go on. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty one to 53 says, Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we, we will not all sleep. You notice Paul's including himself with this group. We will not all sleep. We will all be changed in a flash, in a twinkling of an eye, in the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we, Will be changed, for the perishable must clothe itself with imperishable and the mortal with immortality. Then he says in Luke twenty one thirty-four, listen to this be careful, or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing drunkenness and the anxieties of life, and that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. For it will come on all those who live on the face of the earth. This is Jesus talking. But be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape. That's Luke 21, 34 to 36. That you may escape all that is about to happen. There are the they's and the we's again. I want you to think about this. It will come on all those who, who live on the face of the whole earth. Now who's it going to come upon? Them, are all on the face of the whole earth. Everybody. But, be on the watch and pray that you, those that are in Christ, those that are waiting, those that are alert, but watch and pray that you may be able to Escape all that is about to happen, and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Where's the Son of Man when all this is about to happen? Revelation shows us the picture in heaven when the multitudes are around and all the judgments are about to fall upon the earth when the seven seals are broken. But he's saying that you may be able to escape. Do you see that? So here we are. We come up to the place that I want to preach on today in Thessalonians. Paul is in Thessalonica. You can read about it in Acts 17. He comes to a town called Thessalonica. And as he approaches there, this is his second missionary journey. God specifically calls him to go over to Macedonia, and this city is called Thessalonica. It's right on the Aegean coast. It's a major city with about 200,000 people in population, and it's southeastern Europe. And Paul comes to this city, and it says that he was there for three Sabbath days when he comes to this city. And some think he was there maybe three weeks, some think he was there as much as a couple of months. But whatever happened, Paul was forced to leave this city. Now this is around 50 to 51 A.D. Help me do the math here. How many years after Christ making the promises to return is Paul in this city? About 17 years. 18 years maybe. Put put this in context. What were you doing 17 or 18 years ago? you probably have a fairly good memory if somebody told you things like, I'm going to die, I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to be resurrected, and 500 people witnessed me walking on the face of the earth. And now I'm promising that I'm going to return before all these judgments fall on the earth. I think I would remember that. Wouldn't you? So they're waiting for His return. For 17 years, they've been waiting for His return. Paul was preaching the return of Jesus Christ. And this church at Thessalonica, Paul went to this church. He wasn't there for a long period of time, three weeks to maybe three months at best. And he preached the gospel, he preached about Jesus' soon return and to be ready and live a life that is worthy is what he said in that book. And he's preaching them how to live the fact that Jesus is going to return. And Paul has to leave the city because he'd already been beaten in Philippi. He goes to Thessalonica, they they rile up all the ruffians in the city, the Bible says. And all the ruffians come and... And, and and I don't know a better word. All the, t- all the tough guys in town were riled up, the Bible says. And they got them on their side. And we don't use ruffians, do we? Okay, I read too many books. What's that? Is that what it says in your version? It might actually say that. That's good. I like that. Nefarious. Um, but they riled up the city against Paul and he had to quickly leave. And the Holy Spirit began working on Paul because he went down, uh, he he fled to Berea. And something with Paul, his heart was just burdened for Thessalonica. And he he was at Berea and, and, he, and he got a couple of his disciples came there, and and Timothy and 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 Silas, and, and he was waiting for them to come to Berea to see if the believers that were in Thessalonica were still serving God because of the persecution that he experienced was now being placed on them. In fact, uh, two of the people at the church, um, they had to post a bond, and basically that bond probably was, if Paul comes back, you're going to jail. And so they posted a bond so that Paul would quit preaching, basically. And so Paul was worried that they... They may have uh, the persecution may have, have affected their walk with the Lord, or maybe caused them to lose faith because there was such strong persecution. So he sat in Berea and he waited for word to come back. Then he uh, sent them back, and then they came back to him while he was down a little bit farther south in Corinth. And you say, well, why is it such a big deal? Because if Paul would not have had such trouble, he wouldn't have wrote those letters to them. And because of the fact that there were trouble from all sides in Thessalonica, Paul had to address everything in letters to them. And because he addressed those things in letters, we know what the direct disciples of Jesus Christ were teaching to the church. And as you begin to go through the book of 1 Thessalonians, the topic that is constantly addressed, everything is addressed in light of the fact that Jesus Christ is coming soon. 1 Thessalonians 1, 8 and 10 says, The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report the kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living God and true God, and you wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead. Jesus, who, what? Rescues us from the coming wrath. What were they being taught in Thessalonica? These were pagans. Maybe a few from the synagogue were there, but mostly this were pagans that Paul night and day taught for somewhere between three weeks to a couple months. So what were they being taught by Paul? To wait for the return of the Son and He will rescue you from what? The coming wrath. Isn't it simple? This message could have just as easily been the return, the rescue, Or the escape. Okay, now if I say escape, some people are going to say, well, see there, you're afraid of the tribulation. Okay, then I'll call it the rescue. But we don't need to be rescued, we're called to go through it. There's lots of doctrine that's going through the church right now. And a lot of them will say, I'm going back to the reformers. Well, won't you go back about 1600 more years and go to the early church? Won't you go look at the teachings of Paul and the teachings of Jesus? and decide what you're going to believe from that, not from something that happened in the 1600s. Amen? I teach the Bible. And they're looking for the return of the Son, and they're looking to be rescued from the coming wrath. Jesus is saying, don't miss it, because if you miss it, you're not going to escape what's coming over the entire world. And it's very clear. And if the and if he doesn't have trouble in Thessalonica, we don't get this letter, right? I mean, God would have probably done it some other way, but we have it. First Thessalonians three thirteen. May we strengthen your heart so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all of His holy ones. Now, when are we going to be in the presence of our God? And Father, when our Lord Jesus comes with all of His holy ones. That's another reference to us, and to Christ, and He welcomes us home. How many know that? First Thessalonians 4.16 For the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet call of God, The dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are alive and are left will be caught up together with Him. Boy, that sure sounds like exactly what Jesus did when He was taken away. Remember it says He was taken up, He was caught up. It says we will be caught up, which is where we get our word rapture, the Latin word for harpazo, which is the Greek word. We will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord where? On the ground? We'll meet Him in the air, and so will we be where? With the Lord forever. So wherever He goes, we go, and He already said He's going to the place where He was preparing many mansions. You say, why am I taking this so simple? Because there's a lot of false teaching on the Internet. Amen? And I know that's going to anger a lot of people, but my job is not to be nice with false teaching. My job is to get people ready because the Lord is coming soon. And we've got to be alert. We've got to be ready. We've got to be looking for the return of the Lord because Jesus taught it. Paul taught it. John taught it. Peter taught it. They all said, We're waiting for the return of the Lord, and it is a signless event, and it will come like a thief will come to your house in the nighttime. And everything about his coming in Thessalonians is really good news. You say, Well, wait a minute. I believe His coming is at the end of a seven-year tribulation and there will be one coming and it will be at that time. Well, how is that good news? He was encouraging them. He said, encourage one another with this thought that Jesus Christ is coming in the air to receive you into Himself. Now, how is that good news if it's like Jesus is coming soon But there's going to be so much despair on the earth. It's never been this bad. It's never been this horrible. It's never been this terrible. Let me read some of the Scriptures because the day of the Lord is what comes after us being called to the Lord. The Bible says that we have not been appointed to that wrath. You say, well, wait a minute. Somebody's got to be there to minister to the people in the tribulation. I've heard these lines. Somebody's got to be around to minister to people. God would want me there to minister to these people. And that's like saying, I'm sorry, but Jesus on Mount Olivet, when he did the Olivet Discourse, Jesus began to address uh, the people. And he said, when you see the armies surround Jerusalem, all of you need to get out of there. And you say to yourself, well, when Jesus made that prophecy, how do we do that? When we're surrounded by armies, how do we leave the city? And in 70 A.D. they were surrounded, actually 67 A.D. they were surrounded by armies. They were about to siege the city. And because of the fact that Jesus had warned Christians, when you see the armies surround, you need to get out of there. Well, something happened, the Roman emperor died. So they went back to take care of business. The armies went away. Every single Christian in Jerusalem left. They went to another city. And so they say, I don't know if it's true, but the histories of that siege of Jerusalem in 70, because of Jesus' prophecy, they say not one Christian died. Because they all left the city when those armies went away. They took care of their business. They all came back. They sieged the city And everybody inside died. And that's like saying, here's what I'm getting at. Me staying during the tribulation when God has appointed me to be raptured. God has appointed me not to that wrath, not to be here, because it's a judgment upon sinners. It's a judgment upon unbelievers. And God does not want us to be here. He hasn't appointed us to be here. You say, well, I want to be here. You're going against God. God has a plan for that period of time. And you say, well, what about the who's going to be here? It's going to be the wicked. It's going to be the judgment upon the wicked. I'm going to read you scriptures about the day of the Lord real soon, but the Lord does not intend for us to be here. That's unbelieving Jews and the wicked of the world will be here during the tribulation. It's a pouring out of God's wrath upon the wicked. And the Bible very clearly says you are not to be here. You need to be alert. You need to be ready. You need to escape. You need to be rescued. You need to be pulled out. And God gives examples all through the Bible of people forcibly raptured out of judgment. Suddenly, quickly. In fact, Jesus gives the example of Noah's ark. He says it came suddenly. They were eating. They were drinking. They were living their normal lives. And suddenly it came upon them. But He was carried to safety. He was taken away. Uh, Sodom and Gomorrah is another example. He says, suddenly judgment fell upon the cities and and Lot was removed by an angelic ushering out. How many know that? Praise God. And so he begins with the Thessalonians telling them how good the news is that we're going to be, um, the coming of the Lord is coming at any moment. He's saying at any moment it could happen, at any moment it could happen, and look up and be excited. In fact, they had a word that they would use, use one time. It's called Maranatha. That I means come quickly. Come, Lord, I'm ready. Lord, I'm ready to be raptured into your presence. Lord, I'm ready to live where you are. In fact, the question Thessalonians had was, what's going to happen to those who died in Christ? Are they going to miss out on this coming of the Lord? And this is interesting because he says the dead in Christ will rise first, but he says they'll actually be with him. And I looked at him and I thought, well, how are they with him? When they rise first, because Paul teaches in Corinthians that to be absent from the body is to be present with our Lord. So here they come with the Lord, the spirits of those who have died in Christ. They've been with Him since day one. They passed away. They're in His presence. But you've got to be in Christ. Here they come with the Lord and in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, our bodies are changed. The living that are on the earth, that are in Christ, suddenly our bodies will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. And we'll meet Him where? Where? In the air, and we will be with him where? In the place that he's been preparing since he made the promise. And that's good news. And sometimes we forget about that good news, or we're not taught that good news, or we say that that good news doesn't exist when it does exist. And that's what they taught all the way through. The day of the Lord is not good news. This is pretty simple coming of the Lord is good news. Encourage yourself with this, the Bible says. Tell each other about this. Think about this. Dream about this. Talk about this. Encourage yourself because they were going through persecution and he was saying, don't worry about it. Encourage yourself with the thought of this while you're going through hard times. Trust God because there's going to be a coming of the Lord. Or, here's the worst case scenario, you'll die and you'll be in the presence of the Lord immediately. Neither one of those are pretty good to me. Those are good options for me. You say, no, 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 I'd rather live here another 40 years in, the, in this place. No, I'd rather be in the presence of the Lord. I'd rather be translated while living and meet Him in the air. One of those two things are going to happen. They're both good options. Praise the Lord. But the day of the Lord is not good news. I'm trying to make this simple. Coming of the Lord, good news. Day of the Lord, bad news. The Bible uh, says about the day of the Lord, listen to this. Amos 5.15, one of the most common talked about things in the Bible is the day of the Lord. Listen, there shall be wailing in all streets. You know what all means in the Hebrew there? All. Really simple all of them at last at last they shall call the farmer to mourning skillful lamenters to wailing in all vineyards there will be wailing for i will pass through you says the lord woe to you who desire listen to this the day of the lord woe to you that's the strongest form of judgment to you Judgment to you, woe to you if you desire the day of the Lord. For what good is the day of the Lord to you? It will be darkness, not light. It will be as though a man was running from a a, a lion and he met a bear. Lion, lion, lion. Bear, bear, bear. Oh, lion. Alright. You get the point. There's nothing good about the day of the Lord. It's bad. It'll be as though he went into the house, leaned his hand on the wall. He's safely in the house, right? And he's leaning into the wall. Not not the day of the Lord, darkness and not light. Is it not very dark? And is there no brightness in it? (laughs) Okay. When the Bible says very, that's extreme. Because you know, You've heard of things being biblical proportions. Well, biblical proportions, and then you add a very to it, it's extreme biblical proportions. When it says there's no brightness in it, there's no brightness in it. Zephaniah 1.14 The great day of the Lord is near. It is near and hastens quickly. The noise of the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty men will cry out. You know, uh, it takes a lot for mighty men to cry out. You know that? I may have known some tough guys when they're crying. It's a bad day. Mighty men will cry out. That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of devastation and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet and alarm. Against the fortified cities, against the high towers, I will bring distress upon men. They shall walk like blind men because they have sinned against the Lord. There's that group again—the theys. I don't want to be in the theys. I want to be in the wees. You understand what I'm saying? Paul said, "We will, we will, we will be changed. We will be translated. We'll be caught up. We will be raptured." But they sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust and their flesh like refuse. I mean, oh, this is a bad day. The Jews could not receive, the unbelieving Jews could not receive the message of being spared that. Jesus was preaching, you aren't appointed to this. You can be spared this. Believe in Me and you can be spared of this. This was a message Jesus was preaching, but you know what they kept saying? We'll go through the day of the Lord, and we'll be saved in the end. Now, who would choose that? God's trying to say, you don't want to be in the day of the Lord. It's for those unbelieving Jews and the wicked that are on the earth. Joel says this, Blow the trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm in my holy mountain, let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming, it is at hand, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Now why do I want to speak darkness and gloominess and gloom and doom? And because the glorious appearing, the blessed hope, means nothing to you unless you know how dark it is. And it might not mean a thing in your life when you're walking around when I say blessed hope, you may not get as excited about, than, as I do. When I say being raptured in the presence of the Lord, when I say being translated in God's presence, when I say being caught up to go to that place, He's prepared for me, your heart might not leap like mine does. But when you know the darkness and the gloominess and the terrible day of the Lord, you might get excited. Because you have to see the bad before you can see the good, Right? You have to know how bad it's going to get on the earth and you know what what's happening on the earth isn't nearly as bad as what's happening in eternity without lord the lord jeremiah 35 to 7 for thus says the lord we have heard a voice of trembling of fear and not of peace And now and see whether a man is ever in labor with child. So why do I see every man with his hands on his loins? Men looking like they're in labor because the pain is so bad. This is a bad day. So why do I see every man with his hands on his loins like a woman in labor? And all the faces have turned pale at last. For the day is great, so that none is like it. And it's time of Jacob's trouble. But Jacob will be saved out of it. This is the unbelieving Jews that are going to have to go through this. And God is going to deliver them out of the tribulation. We're not appointed to it. Does everybody understand that? Daniel 12:1 to3 at the time Michael shall stand up the great prince who watches over the sons of, the, of your people and they shall there shall be a time of trouble such as there has never been since there was a nation even to this time. Now Paul in chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians he's answering their questions that Jesus is going to return and we're going to go with him. that's the good news. The return of the Lord is the good news. The return of the Lord is our hope. It's our blessed hope. It's our desire. We're ready every day because we don't know whenever the day of the Lord comes, it's going to come suddenly. It's going to come like a thief in the night. It's going to come like a woman who goes in labor. No way to stop it. Once she goes into labor, once her water breaks, once she starts that process of delivering that baby, you can't stop it. And what he's saying is, the day of the Lord is coming, and when this event occurs that has no sign, the coming of the Lord, the glorious appearing, the blessed hope, when this thing happens, you better be ready, because if you miss it, this woman's in labor now. And there's no turning back. And the gloomiest, darkest, worst day that's ever came upon the earth, you're there, in the middle of it, and you could have escaped So in chapter 4, when he talks about the glorious appearing, he immediately goes in the first Thessalonians chapter 5 and begins to talk about the day of the Lord. So here's the glorious appearing where you escape the wrath, and now Paul's giving them a chronological order of what's going to happen next. It says, Now brothers and sisters, about the time and dates we do not need to write you, for you know very well the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Signless event. People will say peace and safety, destruction will come upon who? Them. Suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, they will not escape. Remember he was talking about the we... Paul was expecting to go through this, right? Why is Paul saying, we will be translated, we will be caught up, we will be raptured, we will go with Him, they, do you understand? Paul is saying, I will be the one of the ones caught up. They will be the ones that will not escape this day of the Lord. If all you did was read the we's and the days, you would know about the end times. If I just had the book of Thessalonians, that's all I had, I could make it. I, w- I would not miss the coming of the Lord if I just read that book and lived it. How many know that? it will come on them suddenly like labor pains as a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But the next verse... They, did you see the they won't escape? They, they, they. Listen to the next verse. But, what? You. Brothers and sisters are not in darkness, so the day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We, there it is again, do not belong to the night and to the darkness, so then let us, not be, not those, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. Those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate, the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath. There it is again. God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. God says we are not them, right? They will not escape the wrath. We are not appointed to the wrath. It catches them like a thief in the night. Us, we're sitting on the couch, and the the thief's trying to break in the door, and we're like, hey, uh," sitting right here. We're ready. We're alert. We're eager. In fact, can you imagine a thief's face if he finds out you're eager for his appearing? Well that's totally different than catching people off guard. It's like if the thief in the night's not going to surprise me, which is what he just said, we won't be surprised. It's kind of like me sitting on the couch saying, Man, I've been waiting for you when the thief comes in. You're like why did it take you so long? Why did you wait till three AM? we are waiting all night for you. That's what we should be like. We should be so eager for the coming of the Lord. We should be so eager for His appearing that we're saying to each other, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord. Lord, come quickly. I'm ready today. I'm ready tomorrow. I'm ready anytime. I'm ready today because He preaches long. Amen. We'd rather be in the presence of the Lord than hear this long sermon. Amen. Hallelujah. I'm with you. Praise God. But then Jesus follows up on this same drunkenness not being ready He says just hold on I'm sorry Just as it was in the days of Noah so will it be in the days of the son of man eating and drinking marrying giving in marriage till the day Noah entered the ark the flood came destroyed all of them likewise just wasn't that a day of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on that day that Lot left Sodom, it rained fire and sulfur from heaven, destroyed all of them. And two parables that Jesus gives. Matthew 25, he says, The bridegroom was a long time in coming, talking about himself. They all became drowsy and fell asleep. Keep awake, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Let me tell you something. If the rapture or this appearing happened at the end of the seven-year tribulation, how many of you know that you would know the exact day and hour? I could figure out the abomination of desolation in three and a half years, and I can count literally the days. So that would not be possible to be that day at the end, one appearing. This is something totally different he's talking about. He says in another parable, Mark 13, 33, 35 to 37, be on guard. Be alert. You do not know what time you do not know when the time will come, therefore keep watch because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back. Whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he sudden if he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. In various other parables, one parable he comes back, he entrusted him to keep his house well, and he came back, and they were all drunk. And he said, That was an unfaithful servant, and the one who was faithful stayed alert. Over and over you see in First Corinthians sixteen thirteen be on guard, stand firm in your faith, be men of courage, and be strong. Uh, Colossians four two, devote yourselves to prayer, be watchful and thankful. First uh, Peter one thirteen, therefore prepare your minds for action, be self controlled and be alert. First uh, Peter four seven the end of all things is near, therefore be clear minded and self controlled so you can pray. The whole purpose, in fact, here's the application, and I'm gonna close in these few lines here on, on my message here. What is the purpose of knowing the future? Listen to this, only about 5% of what the prophets spoke was actually foretelling the future. 95% was how do you live your life based on the future. How do you live your life based on the future? You say, well, wait a minute, all the prophets did was told the future and then backed off and said, deal with it. Five percent, they estimated, is foretelling the future. Most of the ministry of the prophets were, because this is going to happen in the future, you must behave this way. And so the whole purpose of Thessalonians is a loving pastor. Paul talks about how I was like their mother. Day and night, I gave them the milk of the word like a nursing mother, he says. Then he says, I was like the Thessalonians' father. who who expects a kid to behave a certain way, so he watches him over and encourages him to behave correctly. And so what he was saying was, in light of the fact that the Lord is coming back soon, that 5% prophecy, 95% of my message and His message is, how are we going to live knowing that the Lord is going to return and we have to be ready? Amen? A couple things that he says here. It's a very young church. One thing he says is just be alert. Be really careful. It means to walk circumspectly, to examine your life. And you say, well, wait a minute. Let's say you knew the Lord was going to return in the next five minutes. Let's say that you knew your life was going to end in the next five minutes you knew, let's say you're in a plane and you know that plane's going down. And you know your life is at its end. How would you live that last five minutes? And what God is asking us to do is live our lives in light of the fact that the Lord is returning and we can't miss it. You say, well, I can't overcome this. I can't do that. I can't... You know, do this, and would you be able to do it if you knew this was your last day? Could you forgive somebody that you are unwilling to forgive? Could you be a little nicer to your neighbor? Could you be a little more devoted to the Lord? And you say, Oh, no, I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to go overboard serving God. Would you go overboard if you were on your last day? Would you worship different if this were your last day? And what he's saying is be alert and circumspect and let's live our lives as if today's the day. Because how exciting is it going to be when that's the day? In fact, one place there he says he's exciting about the Lord coming because they're his trophies he wants to present before God. All the work that he put into them day and night, he couldn't wait to present them to God when he comes. And you know, immediately we're going to go with the Lord and we're going to have a rewards banquet. Immediately, in the place that he's preparing, there's going to be a rewards banquet for us. And so we need to alertly live our lives and say, man, I think a lot of us are going to be in tears at first. You know why? Because we're not going to have anything to give. You. We're not going to have anything to lay down and say, God, I persevered for you. I love you so much. And, and I gave my life, you know, because you loved me so much. And I poured myself out and and uh, some of us uh, might just, you know, we might have just barely been snatched from hell, and we will we regret, I think, that we didn't live in light of eternity our whole lives. Uh, the second thing he says is he's uh, self-controlled. Somehow you have to allow the Holy Spirit to help you put down self. So I don't know, I like self. Self's a really good guy. Self should be respected. Self should be loved. Self should be held in high esteem by me and all others. But self, self is what makes us forget that the Lord is coming back soon. Self is what selfishly takes up our life and doesn't give. And then another thing he tells this group, and I'm going to close with this, amen? Let's see how my timing is. What time is it? Oh, quarter after. Wow. You guys got bonus material. I should make extra money for that. I usually charge by the 15 minutes. So, The last thing is he wants them to be holy. And I think we misunderstand holy. Holy, we think, is something we add to faith. Something that we say, hey, now I've got faith, now I've got to be a good person. Now I've got to start doing things that impresses God and makes me more saved, right? But you know what holy is? If I had a $20 bill and it was in my pocket, it's not holy. But if I lay it down and say it's God's, it's now separated and it becomes holy. It's holy because it's dedicated now to God. And you say, well, what's that mean in my life? That means all God asks you to do, God says without holiness we will not see the Lord. The Bible says be holy because I am holy. What God is saying is, you can keep your own life. It's yours, but it's not holy. But if you offer it to God, and you say, God, it's yours, and you render your body to God in everything you do in life, not for your salvation, not because God will love you more, not because you'll be more saved, but he says, render your life to me and make it holy, that means it's no longer yours, I can do something with it. So how do you render it holy? You say, well, God, it's yours in my conduct. So what's that mean? Well, I'm angry. Lord, I want, I want my emotions to be holy. So that means I'm going to give you my anger. Now my emotions are holy. Not that I'm... See, we, we've got this idea that holiness is perfection. Holiness is work. Holiness is what I do, and God pats me on the back and says, you're the best little worker I've ever had. But what God wants you to do is render yourself to Him in light of the fact that he's returning soon, and say, God, anything you can do with me, do it. I'm not perfect. I'm not more perfect because I'm doing good things. But I'm holy because I'm dedicated to you. Today when I get up, as imperfect as I am, I'm going to be holy because I'm going to dedicate my life to you. I'm going to dedicate my talents to you. I'm going to dedicate my emotions to you. I'm going to dedicate all you, not because I need to be more saved, but because it's holy, it's dedicated, it's separated unto you today. Stand to your feet. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Bow your heads with me if you would. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord. Lord, we sang that song earlier, Lord, that we will be a church that is ready for you. Lord, we say Maranatha, Lord God. We cry out like the church did, Lord. Come quickly, Lord. Come soon, Lord God. Father, I pray that you would invade every heart. Oh, Father, that their desires wouldn't be for the restaurant they're getting ready to eat at, Lord. But Lord, I'm dedicated to you, Lord God. Oh, Father, I'm focused on you. I'm focused at your coming, Lord. Father, I want you to render me holy, Lord God. Father, I want to live for you. Every day that I have on this earth, it might be one day, it might be one hour, it might be a hundred years, Lord God. I'm going to dedicate myself to you, Lord. Oh, hallelujah. Church, let me ask you while your eyes are closed, heads bowed, the only ones that will be spared in that day of judgment, whether you die or whether you live, the only ones that will be spared are those who are in Christ you say how do I get in Christ the way you get in Christ is you have faith in Jesus Christ that he becomes the Lord and the Savior of your life you say well how do I do that I bow my knee and I repent and say God I'm yours the rest of my life I'll live for you Lord I'll never let you go and then you make a public declaration through water baptism. It doesn't help you be more spiritual, but it helps you tell the world what happened in my heart. So if that's you today and you've never given your heart to the Lord, you say, man, I don't know that I'm right with God. Find a place at this altar up here. Don't wait for me to beg you to come up here. Find a place at the altar. If you're not comfortable with this altar, Let me know when the service is over and I'll personally lead you to the Lord. I'll personally pray with you. I'll personally tell you how to be in Christ. God made it so simple, the Bible said, that a fool need not make a mistake. Everyone else who is here, we need to have... The the return of the Lord needs to have an impact on our life. The prophecies are 5%. 95% is how we live in light of the prophecies God wants us to live every day as if he could return this moment so if you're not there today as we will sing this song I just want you to begin tell the Lord fill me with your spirit Lord help me live alert sober minded holy these last days praise the Lord if you need prayer we'll be up here prayer for anything a desire for Your coming, Lord God. Father, that that hope would be strong, Lord God. That that hope would be enduring, Lord. Oh, Father, that that hope would well up inside of us every day, Lord God. That we would not forget, Lord. That Your coming can be at any moment, Lord. Oh, Father, let that joy, Lord God, let us know that our redemption Draw nigh, Lord God. It's close. It's near, Lord God. Bless each of your people, Lord God. Lord, bless those who are your beloved, Lord. Oh, put your spirit upon them, Lord.